Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, Darren shares his experience as a runner with a partial rupture of the plantar fascia who is able to get back to running and training. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking with Darren about his history of issues with the plantar fascia and uh, being an athlete and what it takes to get back to training and recovery and survive these types of injuries. So, uh, Darren, thanks for coming on the uh, show today to talk about your experience and to share what's happened with you at plantar fascia over the last several years. So, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Chris. Um, why don't I just start with a, just a real brief history of... Uh, my experience both with uh, plantar fascia and, and how that has tracked along with my uh, kind of athletic endeavors. That sounds great, yeah. Right. So I started running uh, really in 1985 just to lose some weight from when my daughter was born. I, I put on probably 15 pounds uh, with my wife's pregnancy and I I decided, no, oh, I need to start exercising and, and just try and get into good shape because she's going to be around. I need to be around for her. So I uh, did my first 5K in 1985, uh, started seeing a uh, uh, podiatrist in 1991, uh, so I started to have heel pain. Um, he prescribed orthotics. I got orthotics. They were uncomfortable. Uh, I tried them for about six months. Didn't work. Pain was all still there, uh, but I kept running and um, just started doing more 10Ks, uh, started riding my bike a lot more because um, the heel pain was there and running wasn't as comfortable. Uh, did my first marathon in 2001 and through the training for that, I had a little bit of heel pain, but not too bad. I uh, did my first Ironman distance race in 2003. Uh, running up to um, a really long triathlon. There's a, an event called Ultraman, which is a three-day event. Uh, training up for that, I started to develop pretty significant heel pain again. Saw a podiatrist, got more orthotics. They still weren't comfortable. Uh, gave them about a six-month effort. Pain never went away, never got better. Uh, and I had the race coming up, so I went ahead and did the race without the orthotics. Kept doing Ironman races um, up until 2011, and that's when I started seeing you, Chris. And um, you worked with me to try and get uh, get me through Ironman Canada that year. But unfortunately, in a long training run leading up for that, my uh, plantar fascia actually tore partially away from the bone, yeah. and I, I literally couldn't walk. So. Yes, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's the thing that does happen, and I think this is really an important point because, you know, plantar fasciitis is so common that you know you just look online about heel pain, arch pain, whatever, running injuries and foot pain, and the majority of the stuff you find is about plantar fasciitis. And I see so many runners that think they have plantar fasciitis when they have what seems, based on their story, to be a partial rupture. And like what you describe is very clearly indicative of a partial rupture to me as somebody that sees runners all the time. So why don't you tell us like what that, what that episode was like when that actually happened? Huh. Yeah, it was, I, I remember very distinctly because it, the pain was such that it, I, I could no longer ignore the pain, put it right. that way. Right. Uh, 
was running up on a trail on Mount Tam with a group of runners. And a bunch of us were training for Ironman Canada that year. So this was going to be about a 20-mile training run uh, on the trails, uh, which was the last really hard run before the race. And from the moment I started running with the group, it felt like uh, someone was pounding a nail into my heel. So every single step was painful. Um, there really wasn't a running, uh, foot landing or gait that would help the pain go away. It was constant and it was every, every single footstep. I got probably 13 miles into the run and it started to get even much worse. So it went from being just a nail in the heel to, uh, I can hardly even stand to put my foot down, even just Mm -hmm. barely touching my toes to the ground was painful. So I found myself alone probably three miles from the car and I had to stop running altogether and I was literally kind of hopping uh, on one foot for about three miles to get back to the car. And um, (laughs) it was, I I knew something significant was wrong because I'd never experienced that type of heel pain before. And then that's when I got in touch with you and we got in, uh, had an MRI done and that confirmed the partial tear. Right. So that's the thing is that it, with runners and, you know, triathletes and obviously, you know, doing Ultraman and all this kind of stuff, everybody has aches and pains. Everybody has injuries and everybody who's an endurance athlete has a high pain threshold. So like, I mean, I did, I got, I tore my hamstring during Ironman Lake Tahoe and still finished and I tore it on the bike and, and it's, you know, we're used to that. So you basically, not that you should run when you've torn your hamstring, but I really wanted to finish. I needed to finish given what I was doing and what I was trying to achieve at that time. And so, you know, I did exactly what you're describing in, in that, where you, you try all these alterations. Like I realized when I was on the bike after I tore it, that if I sat a certain way and pedaled a certain way, it kind of really didn't hurt that much. And then when I started running, I realized if I kind of ran with my right you know my left foot tilted in toward my right foot it it hurt but it didn't really hurt that much and i could continue to run and so you know everybody does that everybody when they get injured whether you're getting a stress fracture or an achilles tendon issue or something else you kind of try all these different strategies so you, most people would say well if you get out of the car and you start a run on mount tam you're going to run 20 miles and it feels like someone pounding a nail into your heel with every step you probably ought to go home and watch tv but as an endurance athlete training up to this very particular race, you know, instead of doing that, of course, you go, okay, well, how can I work around this so I can fit my last workout in? And yet it's really not something you can just ignore. You know, it's just, it's really notable. And that's classic of a partial rupture of a plantar fascia. People with plantar fasciitis don't vividly remember the specifics about it. They have these very vague things. Like, I don't know, maybe it was when I was training for this one race when it started. I don't know. It just kind of creeped in. But what you describe is very, very different than a, a standard case of plantar fasciitis. So obviously you realized something was very wrong and you wanted to figure out what was wrong. And so you got an MRI. And do you remember what happened on the MRI? Yes, you... Uh you got a call from the radiologist who reviewed the results and the radiologist told you uh, he'd never seen two things with uh, plantar fascia before. One that had been so uh, inflamed and enlarged because of long-term abuse, basically, and uh, such significant of a tear. So 
<laughs> my plantasia had grown into uh, epic proportions, evidently. <laughs> right. So you never want to be an interesting patient, right? So, you know, if the radiologist is excited about the appearance of the MRI, that's generally not a good thing. Um, but, you know, it's good to know because obviously continuing to run on that is not going to improve anything. So to most people, particularly runners, when they hear they've torn the largest ligament in their foot, they would think that, well, that means I'm done. I'm never going to run again, you know. Um, but that's not true. Uh, it's not necessarily true. And, and actually, in many ways, it's simple. You know, we can fix a torn plantar fascia. It's not convenient, but it, it can be fixed or your body can fix it, not me. You know, we don't take you to the operating room and sew it back together. It doesn't work that way. So so then what did you have to do? So you, obviously you're just about to do Ironman Canada. You've done your last long run. You get this MRI. The radiologist is all excited about it. And obviously you have a significant injury in your foot. So how did you shift gears? Like, what did what did you do? I mean, mentally, that's not easy because yeah. I, you've yeah. been training a long time and put in a lot of effort for this event. So how did you shift? You know, what what did you do? Well, uh, and part of it was actually working with you. You uh, you and I had talked about options before the rupture mm -hmm. uh, about things that we could do to to help solve my problem more permanently. And you gave me the option of um, the plantar fascia surgery where you would, in essence, um, uh, do the surgical procedure that would help um, help solve the problem. Right. And uh, once you got the results of the MRI, you said, well, Darren, you basically did the surgery on yourself. <laughs> exactly. Now that so, does, it does have, there's a bright, there's a good thing and a bad thing with everything in medicine, right? So, yeah. you know, for every bad thing, there's always a good thing. For every good thing, there's a bad thing. So in some cases, yeah, when you tear your plantar fascia, uh, you've basically done the surgery. It's not as elegant and the bill's not as big, but you've already had it, right? So uh, exactly. that's really it. So to, you know, to be clear though, when people hear that we're going to do surgery on the plantar fascia, what they often think is that we're going to go in and we're going to very cautiously and carefully remove damaged tissue and sew it back together or somehow repair it so it looks like brand new. Kind of like when you wreck your car, you take it into the auto body shop and then when you get it back, it looks like brand new. Well, it doesn't work that way. So um, when we do the surgery for chronic plantar fasciitis, the surgery that's most often performed is a plantar fascia release. And all that means is that we go in and we surgically cut through the medial band of the plantar fascia or the part that generally causes the most tension to relieve that tension. If all goes according to plan, you get scar tissue that forms between the gap um, or the ends of the plantar fascia that we have released. And and in essence, it's a little bit longer and a little bit less tense. In some cases, it doesn't heal back together but you, it relieves all the tension and so your pain basically goes away. So when you have a partial rupture like yours, then in essence you have, you know, in many ways performed exactly the same thing we do in the operating room. So obviously you realize then, okay, you have to shift. You've got to um, rethink this whole plan for Ironman Canada. And yeah. What you, yeah, so what did you do? Well, you and I talked about uh, the race and uh, you said, well, you, you can still do it, but you're, you're going to be in a lot of pain and you'll continue to do damage with every step of that marathon. So, um, I, I decided, you know, it's not worth it causing more damage. So I, uh, I bowed out of the race, decided I was not going to do the race. And then, uh, I also had bunions mm -hmm. on both feet mm -hmm. and, uh, you and I talked about, you know, what would be the best, uh, kind of sequence of, 
uh, events to get my feet back to optimal health. And um, you and I uh, uh, discussed that, and we plan to have me go through and do bunion surgery on each foot uh, separately, one after another, so that uh, I wasn't completely disabled while I was healing from the bunion surgery. So I went through that process, uh, and each bunion surgery uh, recovery was about six weeks. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, you advise that at the end of the roughly 12 weeks, uh, my plantar fascia would have the chance to start to reattach as it should naturally, and we'll see where where my pain level was at the end of all that recovery period, and go from there. Right. And uh, so, at that stage, you know, had no idea, had no expectations of when I would. Be, be able to uh, run again. I knew I'd be able to walk, but I didn't didn't know what the end result of the surgeries and recoveries would end up being. Right. Um, so mentally, I just uh, decided I'll take off whatever time is necessary. Um, not even plan for a time on when I was going to start running again. Mm -hmm. Just get through the surgery recovery. And uh, I have two dogs, so I was in, anxious to get back to just walking in the. <laughs> The dogs, because <laughs> uh, I was going stir crazy through that roughly twelve week um, period of uh, recovery. Yeah, that recovery is tough, and uh, you know, and I will say for any athlete, it's especially difficult. I mean, I uh, about I guess a year and a half ago or so, I had to have surgery, and my surgeon, uh, it was not related to my feet. You know, so I, of course, was thinking, well, why not exercise or something else entirely? But he said, I want you to promise me that you will not exercise for three weeks. And uh, and I, I thought I was I said, OK, but I can like go for an easy run. Right. Like, you know, just a few miles, easy pace. And he's just like, no, Chris, no, 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 no. So well, I can go for a bike ride because, I mean, a bike ride's really not that stressful. Right. So. So well, I can, you know, I can go for bike rides. And he said, no, no exercise at all. I said, well, I can go for a hike, right? And he said, Chris, let me explain this to you. If an elderly obese person would consider it to be exercise, you're not allowed to do it for three weeks. And because, I mean, I really thought about it. I was like, when's the last time I didn't exercise at all for three weeks? And I, maybe high school? I don't, I don't know, you know? Uh, and so when you think about taking six weeks, you know, month and a half of really no exercise, not even walking your dog, um, for somebody who's an athlete who is so used to doing workouts that they will make sure they, you know, go for this 20-mile run when it feels like somebody's driving a knife in your heel – that's really tough. And mentally, it's, I think it's very difficult. I think that for athletes, for like for us, our stress hormones go way up. Um, I think we're way more prone to depression and anxiety and other things that um, seem to be alleviated by our, our exercise. And so it's really difficult. So once you can get back to doing something that's a little more normal, like walking your dog or you know, riding your bike or doing anything, it's that suddenly starts to improve. And then you kind of accelerate out of there and you start to heal and recover pretty quickly, it seems. So when you got to that place, like what happened? Like, how did you get back into real exercise? Like, how long did you spend just with really moderate things like walking your dog and, and before you really got back into what you think of as vigorous exercise? Yeah, I think probably I spent uh, at least two months after the 12-week recovery period. So uh, each bunion surgery and recovery was six weeks, a total of 12 weeks. Uh, 
just to get through the bunion surgeries and recovery. Yeah. Uh, after that, then I start, uh, was walking dogs in the neighborhood for about two months mm-hmm. and felt really good. I started to do uh, upper body strength conditioning a little bit, lifting weights here at home, um, and felt really good. But I, I, I knew that if I was going to try and get back into running to uh, at the distance of a marathon again, um, I was going to have to take it really slow right. and basically learn how to run again. Yeah. Um, well, your foot was different too. I mean, realistically, like after you have a bunion surgery, you know, people think of that as just removing a bump or straightening the toe. But the fact is, it is a reconstructive procedure where we change the position of the bone, we change the structure of your foot, and functionally, it changes the way that it works. So it, it you do have to learn how to run again. Yep. So I, um, at the end of the roughly three, five month period, I started, uh, short bike rides mm-hmm. and decided I wasn't, wasn't even going to attempt to run for quite some time, but I'd start biking again cause I felt no pain in biking. Uh, and I could get, you know, the cardiovascular effects of aerobic exercise again. So, uh, started doing that. That felt really good. Made it through, uh, the rest of that year, and that was 2012, mm-hmm. and I felt really good uh, and decided to sign up for another Ironman race, thinking, I even if I have to just walk the entire marathon of the Ironman race, I'm fine with that. I'm just happy to be able to get back out and exercise you know, the distance of an Ironman. So that was... Signed up for 2013 Ironman race, and probably early 2013, I started just doing really short runs. So, you know, three miles, gradually worked up to about six miles. And I don't think I ever did a long run more than about six or eight miles for that, preparing for that Ironman race. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't having any heel pain at all. Mm-hmm. So... Again, I didn't want to take it nice and easy. Didn't didn't want to push it, and it felt felt good. Uh, let me back up just one second. One of the things that I did uh, before I even put on running shoes again, um, I, I I was reading a lot about uh, people with flat flat feet and the problems that they have with plantar fascia, mm-hmm. and very typical. In fact, that's one of the reasons that the the military used to exclude people with flat feet from the military was because of the, the problems of plantar fasciitis. Mm-hmm. So um, I looked on the Newton Running Shoes website and started to get the idea of, well, I do know that I'm a heel striker, and being flat foot and a heel striker, it's almost guaranteed you're going to have plantar fasciitis. Right. Um, so... I got a pair of Newton running shoes. They were very uncomfortable when I first started running on them. Um, but the the activator pads on those shoes really helped me understand where my foot was landing. Right. So in those first, you know, one mile, two mile, three mile running efforts, I could feel when I needed to adjust my stride. Right. And that made all the difference in the world, I think. Because fast forward now, it's been five years mm-hmm. since, uh, almost six years since I tore my plantar fascia, had no heel pain at all. Yeah. None. 
And during that time, two years ago, in fact, uh, I had a personal best in the marathon distance, just a marathon alone. I had a personal best at 53 years old. So yeah, that's so that's incredible, right? I mean, um, and you know, and, and you had all these, you had all these different factors. So you've obviously you had a significant injury. You let that recover appropriately. You had surgery to correct uh, what is basically an imbalance in your foot. Uh, you were cautious about how you retrain yourself to make sure that you didn't get injured. And then in addition to that, you got some Newtons and started functionally changing your running form so that you're less of a heel striker and you know, the, some evidence that that's more efficient. Uh, there's lots of research that says that it's more efficient. And then in theory, you should be faster if you're more efficient in the marathon distance. And for, for me personally, I was asked many years ago to write a review for Newton's when they were relatively new. I did that. And I figured if I was going to write a review, I should do it the way that the instruction card said and so i followed their instructions on on using them i used them once a week just when i would do mile repeats on the track uh, i didn't run in them other times and the next marathon i did was 20 minutes faster than my previous best and wow so yeah and, and obviously being older you should not get faster in marathons um but you can particularly if you're more efficient in the way that you do things and so you know, you have lots of factors that could have contributed to that speed, but it's impressive when somebody in their 50s has a PR. I mean, no two ways about it, right? So obviously you survive that injury in a way that um, a lot of runners don't think they can. And many doctors will tell runners when they've had a partial rupture of the plantar fascia or even chronic plantar fasciitis that they just have to stop running. Clearly that's not true. And the doctors, in defense of, you know, doctors everywhere, they're trying to do that because they believe it's high force, they believe it's high stress, and they want you to get better. Um, over 25 years ago, I had to have a reconstructive knee surgery, and my orthopedic surgeon told me that I should never run because if I did, within 10 years I would wear out my knee, and I would have to have a total knee replacement, and then I was way too young for that procedure because the implant wouldn't last long enough. Well, now it's been over 25 years. I've done lots of marathons. I've done 15 Ironmans. I run a lot still. Uh, I don't have any knee problems. So in retrospect, clearly the advice he gave me was wrong. Um, that doesn't mean that he wasn't giving me the best advice he could, given what he knew about my condition. But it, to stop running is an easy way for doctors to try to remove stress and risk for you. But Obviously, as someone like you, who's an active athlete and who's been an endurance athlete for many years, that's not really reasonable. It's not a reasonable request. But if you're thoughtful about it and you do think as deliberately as you have, there's a way to figure out, I think, in most cases, how you can continue to run regardless of the type of injury that you've had, even if it's a partial rupture of the plantar fascia. So clearly that's worked for you. So what's your activity like now? What are you doing now? Uh... Still doing Ironman races. Um, we got one coming up in May of this year. Mm -hmm. Also doing marathons. Uh, just typically when I'm kind of in off season, I run about 30 miles a week. Uh -huh. when, when I'm training specifically for just a marathon, I uh, ramp up to where I'm about 55 to 60 miles a week. Uh -huh. uh, on the bike, uh, so total running per year is around 1,400 to 1,500 miles per year. Mm -hmm. And on the bike, uh, I bike year-round. It's so beautiful here in the Bay Area, so it's it's easy. 
typical year biking training for an Ironman is about 3,500 miles. Right. And I do all of that. Uh, you know, I start to you throw in the swim as as necessary, but uh, all of that literally has been pain free since the <laughs> my self induced um, plantar fascia surgery. Right. Well, that's good. So, I mean, it sounds like you're still on track. So, um, are you excited about your race in May at this point? Is your training oh, going? Yeah, on? it's and it's really two things. Like as you have experienced. Uh, doing 15 Ironman races, it's, uh, it's a feeling like you, you just can't get anywhere else. So it's, it's that high that you get in the actual race. It's the, uh, you know, the training leading up to it, being able to spend long bike rides with friends and all that. Um, and then it's, um, honestly, the other thing that's really been rewarding is just being able to go on runs with my dogs. Yeah. You know, they, they, when when after my surgery and all we could do was you know like a three mile walk around the neighborhood, uh, they were always a bit frustrated that we wouldn't break out into a run. And now I, I'm able to do you know three to six mile runs with them several times a week, and uh, they're happier. I enjoy that time uh, with them. So those are kind of the two things that are just uh, you know I couldn't be happier. Yeah, oh that's great, and it's. I'm glad you're still doing that stuff, and it's a you know to me it's a shame when I hear runners who have given up running because they've been told by some doctor they have to stop running. And I don't think that's the case. So, you know, my primary advice to runners is whether you've had a partial rupture of the plantar fascia or if you've had some other type of injury. For if a doctor tells you you have to stop running, the first thing you should do is get a second opinion from somebody else in your area who sees runners. That's the bottom line. Yeah, Chris. Just one other thing I that I I'd like to add for people that are listening to this that are working on recovery and getting back into things. The technology that's available now actually really helps people to change their running style a little bit. And one of the, uh, the Newton's shoes have helped me. They don't help everybody, but the, the, those have helped me mainly just because it, it kind of enforces the change in stride. Right. Uh, so less heel striking, more midfoot to forefoot uh, landing. And then also increasing the cadence right. so if you increase the cadence it's a much easier stride to land on your midfoot right uh, and one of the tools that has really helped me get there is uh the uh the garmin the new garmin watch it actually tracks your cadence for you so i can do a six mile training run come home and look and see exactly what my cadence has been through the whole run and i i know that if my cadence stays at about 180 I'm going to, I don't feel anything. My feet are just perfect. And if I start to shorten my stride or lengthen my stride at all, I can, I can begin to feel where things are not going to end well. Right. It's true. It's very, very tedious. Like when I first started doing that and, uh, I remember at Ironman Texas one year I was, uh, I wasn't having the best race. So I just decided to see what would happen if I increased my stride during the race, you know, and it was kind of at least halfway through the run. So my form was already kind of falling apart because I was tired. And uh, so basically what I did was I, for, you know, I measured my stride, uh, but just by counting, right, to figure out what my cadence was watching my watch. I ran same pace for two miles. And then the next two miles, I increased my cadence by 10%. And my heart rate dropped by 20 beats per minute. So, you know, it was it was interesting, and it was 
it was easy to do, but extremely tedious to watch my watch while I'm running and count for a minute, you know, to figure out how many steps. Um, but obviously with these new tools, like you say, like the new Garmin's, I mean, they're pretty amazing, right? You can, uh, they really are. So, you know, you can get heart rate on your wrist instead of a chest strap. You can get uh, cadence. You can get all that stuff measured for you. And uh, they can be very, very helpful tools, just like Newton's are, I think, very helpful tools because you can look at the lugs and so clearly identify your wear pattern and make adjustments and see the wear pattern change and then determine how you're really landing, you know, whether you're really truly forefoot or midfoot or, or heel striking. And those tools really do help. Uh, runners change their gait if they're interested in modifying their running form. That's for sure. So that that's really helpful. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share my story. It's uh, working with you and uh, the tools are available. It's uh, it's returned me to being a happy athlete again. That's great. All right, Darren. Well, thanks again. I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh, again, best of luck in your next race. And hopefully you'll have, uh, of course, many of those to come in the years ahead. Thanks a lot, Chris. Take care. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.